the hall downstairs uh, for parents, grandparents, guardians to pick up their children following that time. Look forward to what the kids have in store for them. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to the book of 1 Corinthians, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, so you have the Gospels in the, book of, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12. We're in this series on the church. We've talked about the aspects of Jesus being the cornerstone upon which the church is built and how we are living stones being pressed together, built upon the foundation, Jesus, as the cornerstone. We've talked about as well on Family Sunday how we are the family of God adopted into his family, and so the church is also another one of these analogies. We are the family of God. We've been talking, we talked last week about what is the reason and what is the intention that we have when we come to church. Is it to get in kind of a consumeristic, what can the church do for me? Or is it I come to receive so I might love the Lord back and I might love my neighbor as myself and I might serve? And so is it it's that mentality thing? It's a, am I coming to get, consume? Or am I coming to receive so that I might give away? And so today we want to talk about a little more about this idea of what does it look like to give? What does it look like to give away specifically in the area of ministry? And there's another analogy of the church that we'll see today, and that is of the church as the body of Christ. And we'll see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we look. I want to warn you, there'll be sermon note fill-ins on the, on the uh, screen. Uh, sermon notes are in your bulletin if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, and there'll be even more notes that you can take up on the screen. But I just want to warn you, I'm going to do my best, but it may feel like you're drinking a little bit from a fire hose today, a good amount of information. Uh, but I hope that it will lead us to a place of uh, a conclusion where we can ponder together. And so the title today, Everyone Gets to Play, that phrase comes from uh, a man by the name of John Wimber who founded the Vineyard Movement and he talked about the fact that in the body of Christ everyone gets to play. And that resonates with me a lot because I grew up playing sports. If you've been around uh, here at Dorseville, you know I was a baseball player. I was also a basketball player in high school. Uh, baseball was more my sport but I played basketball all the way in high school as well. And Tuesdays and Friday nights, where I grew up in Ohio, that was the nights for varsity basketball. Tuesday nights and Friday nights. They were the highlight. If you were our play if in basketball season, game nights were the highlight. It was the reason that you practiced. It was so much fun to gather and to play in front of these crowds on Tuesdays and Friday nights. And you know, what was interesting to me as we would go, the, the fans were always uh, either the, the thing that helped you or the thing that hurt you. When you were home, the fans were the ones who were there behind you, cheering you on. You had home field or home court advantage. But when you were on the road, the fans made it very, very difficult because they were rooting very loudly against you. It's all part of the fun of sports. But what I found interesting a lot as an athlete growing up was that come Wednesday morning at school or Monday morning at school after the Tuesday night or the Friday night game, what you would hear from other students when you won was, we won. When you lost, it was, you guys blew it. 
I always found it amazing how all of the fans, all the students took great credit when we won. And when we lost, it was you guys are terrible. You guys blew it. Take the credit and shift the blame. And yet, it was really, while the fans are so much a part of it, it was the 10 or 12 guys who were there practicing for hours and who were the ones on the court who ultimately were the ones who either won the game or lost the game. There were plenty of fans, but not as many players. Churches in general, this is just a stat that is compiled, churches in general have a lot of fans, but not nearly as many players. There is this stat that they say, they call it the 20-80 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. There's a lot of fans, but not as many players. But the reality is when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and when we look at the church in general, we see that there is no such thing as a fan in the church. There are only players. And this really is the privilege of being a part of the church. That privilege is that everyone gets to play. Can you say that with me? Everyone gets to play. Yay! I love it. Livingstones, family members of the church, are the players. And everyone is needed in the game. I find it interesting. In sports, not everyone gets to make the team. It's just one of the realities. Not everyone makes the team. Nor, if you are one of the players, does every player get to play. There are those that maybe all they do is practice and they're on the bench all the time. But in the church, there's no such thing as being cut from the team and there's no such thing as being on the team but on the bench. In the church, everyone gets to play. So, as we start this, kind of real quick, lots of information time together. Let's start here. And we want to start by seeing the, and receiving, actually it should be receive the Spirit's work to play. Receive the Spirit's work to play. Receive the Spirit's work to play. Sorry, I got the wrong line up there. The Spirit enables, the Spirit enables confession of Christ. The Spirit enables confession of Christ. In verses one through three, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Paul begins this whole discussion by contrasting those Corinthians from when they were pagans to now when they are believers. And he says, no one who speaks by the Holy Spirit says, Jesus be cursed. Instead, those who speak by the Holy Spirit say, Jesus is Lord. And the only way they are able to say Jesus is Lord, and the only way we are able to say Jesus is Lord, is by the Holy Spirit. 
that the Holy Spirit enables confession of Christ because the Holy Spirit brings new life in Christ. This is all about salvation. This is all about us being once spiritually dead, but when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and makes us new creations. We are now spiritually alive. We are part of the family of God. We are brought into his church, into his family. The ministry of the Spirit begins for us in salvation, bringing conversion to us. Without this, without this, any kind of being able to play does not happen. No gifts ever are given without first being a part of the family. The Spirit is the one then who distributes the gifts following that. Verses four through six, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And if you skip down to verse 11, there's gonna be in verses seven through 10, some manifestations of the spirit. We'll get back to those in a minute, but it says all of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The Spirit distributes the gifts. There's different kinds of workings, he says in verses four through six. There are different kinds of gifts, but the Holy Spirit is the source of them all. And we are told in verse 11 that all of those gifts are the working of one and the same Holy Spirit and that he gives and he distributes them as he determines. You know, there was a beginning to all of this. And that was in Acts chapter 2. At what is called Pentecost, when after Jesus had died and was resurrected and ascended back into heaven, he told his disciples to go back and to wait for the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And for 10 days in the upper room, they prayed in obedience to the command of Jesus. And as they prayed and as they waited, 10 days they prayed and 10 days they waited and the Holy Spirit was poured out to them on a day of Jewish celebration called Pentecost. And as the Holy Spirit was poured out, it says there were tongues of fire that were on each of them and they began to speak in other languages so that all who had gathered together were able to hear of the good news of Jesus. And Peter seeing this and being filled with the Spirit, says in this sermon that he preaches at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he says, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and And women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. One of the amazing things that happens in this whole idea of the spirit distributing gifts is that the spirit distributes gifts not on the most mature, the oldest. Not on those who possess the greatest natural talents. Not on those who are of one gender or another. He says, the Spirit of God, Peter says, the Spirit has been poured out on all, on men and women, 
on young and on old. That when the Spirit of God comes upon a person at conversion, there is this amazing reality that takes place that everyone, everyone gets to play. This would have been radical in their day. Radical that all, the old and the young, men and women would all receive the same spirit and would see, receive the same gifts. It's important for us to understand that, that as the spirit distributes gifts, he distributes to all. And these gifts are from verse seven for the common good. Now to each one, these gifts, these manifestations of the spirit is given for the common good. For the common good of the whole church, it's not about being good for one or two people, but for the common good of the whole body that is benefited and strengthened because of it. This is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit, wor his work to play when everyone gets to play. How many of you have been in, in the joys of family pictures? Christmas time is coming. You may be getting some soon. But it's always interesting to me when you're on this side, the camera's on that side, and the person says, okay, I want you to go over here. So that person moves. Now I want you to go over here. That person moves. I want you to get down on one knee. I want you to sit here. I want you to turn your head this way. And you're thinking, well, that's going to look really stupid with my head turned this way. But what are they doing? They are arranging everything so that it looks the best. For me, when I'm the one who's being told to move here, to hear and to turn my head this way and down that way a little bit. I'm going, what is going on? I don't understand this. But when the person takes the picture and I see it, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. I understand it. I see why I was moved from that spot to that spot and why my head had to be turned in that way or I had to look in this direction because the person taking the picture sees the whole picture. They know what they are trying to accomplish. And it is that way in the Spirit. It is that way in the Spirit that we receive the Spirit's work to play and He sees what He is working out. He sees how He is gifting. He sees how He is building and we just receive. We receive salvation and we receive the gifts for the common good. Secondly, if the Spirit is distributing these gifts, it would make sense for us that we would identify our spiritual gift. For one moment, I want us to turn back to the book of Romans. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, just turn back towards the front of the Bible a few pages to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. As we seek to identify our spiritual gift. Paul is the same writer, and he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. 
identifying our gifts. Paul talks about here in Romans 12. And he talks about this idea of a spiritual gift, which this may, just for understanding, in the original language, it's this word charismata. Charismata or spiritual gift. In this passage, it is the, one of the only passages where it talks of spiritual gifts as charismata, as, as gifts of the Spirit. And it is used in a singular way. Not spiritual gifts, but spiritual gift. It's also used um, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, and about Timothy to fan into flame the gift that has been uh, placed in you through the laying on of hands in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. And so from this, this is where I am coming from. I believe that there are seven... I'm not going to argue, you can believe where you're going, where you believe on this, but this is where I'm coming from, that I believe that there are seven gifts listed in Romans chapter 7, and each person gets one. Now, this would make sense in light of each person being part of the body. There are not parts of the body that are fingers and toes. There are not parts of the bodies that are arms and legs. It's arm, leg, finger, toe. And so this is just where I am coming from. I know there are different ways to look at it. But this idea of spiritual gifts. These are given then at conversion and they remain. Spiritual gifts are not always present in a person's life. Before Christ, we were spiritually dead. We were unable to confess Jesus as Lord. We read that in 1 Corinthians 12. And at salvation, when we were given the grace to be able to confess Christ, we were born again. And we were made spiritually alive. At spiritual birth, then, we were also given a spiritual gift that we serve from and we play from that gift. The gifts the gift that we, remain, that, that, that we receive remains with us for our entire life after conversion. So what are those gifts? Read them in Romans 12, and so I want to just go over them quickly. What are the gifts? In Romans 12, they break down into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts talks about prophesying. It's declaring God's message. There is teaching, which is clarifying God's already revealed truth. As in the scriptures, already revealed truth, we are clarifying or helping others to understand through teaching. Encouraging, or depending on the translation, exhorting, means coming alongside and encouraging a person in growth. And always with scripture as the guide. Those are the speaking gifts in Romans chapter 12. The serving gifts, one of them obviously is serving. It is showing God's love by meeting practical human needs. Another gift is giving, giving financially to help people and to further the kingdom. There's leadership. It's coordinating the activities of others to advance the kingdom of God. Some people are leaders coordinating the activities of others. And mercy, it's identifying with and giving comfort to those who are in distress. Now that's a big list of people. That's a big list of things. 
And I told you, this may feel like you're drinking out of a fire, out of a fire hose in some ways, because you're like, oh man, how do I digest all of that? Romans chapter 12 will help us with that. And so how do we identify it? If this whole idea is to identify your spiritual gift, how do you do it? Well, one way is to pray. One way is to spiritually ask the Lord by his spirit, what is it that I have been given? And then to come and discern that with others. I think my spiritual gift is teaching. I think my spiritual gift is encouragement or exhorting. What do you think? Gather others who you know are able to discern from the Lord and say, what do you think my gift? This is where I think the Holy Spirit has gifted me. What do you think? Another way is through some kind of spiritual gifts inventory. And I came across this. This was shared with me recently. It's called the real you, the real you.org. And it takes about 20 minutes or so, but it will help you to identify what might be your spiritual gift. It will also help you understand what are your passions, what's your personality, what kind of style do you have in ministry. It gives you this big kind of picture of who you are. And from those that I've seen that have done this, it is really interesting because it gives this description of who they are, and it's like, wow, that does really come alongside and really describe this person that I'm reading about. And so this may be a help to you. First, we want to ask the Holy Spirit, what are the gift? What's the gift that you have given to me? And second, take an inventory like this, therealyou.org, and see how it might be able to either confirm or say, hmm, maybe we need to think a little bit differently. But the goal is that everyone would get to play, right? And we need to be able to understand who we are if we're going to play on the team well. Everyone gets to play. But at the same time, as we identify these gifts, we also need to be open to something else, and that is called the manifestations of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, or chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, it says, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And again, all of these are the work of one in the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. There is this word where we had the gift, the word charismata for spiritual gifts in Romans 12. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, there is another word that's used, and it is phonerosis. So since I have so much information, just to make sure we're all still awake and not I haven't bored you to death, say phonerosis with me. Phonerosis. You are all Greeks, Greek scholars. Phonerosis. Phonerosis means manifestation. It's the Greek word, the original language in this passage, and it is a public display that makes something theoretical become real. Okay, it's a public display that makes something that is theoretical become real. So, let me illustrate it this way. Theoretically, I have this, I mean, Really, I don't know if that's a word, but in reality, I have this nail. Theoretically, if I walked over to the closest electrical outlet 
and stuck it in there, theoretically, what is going to happen? I'm going to get, I'm going to get juiced, right? I'm going, to get, I'm going to get shocked a little bit. Now, that is theoretical. Now, if I walk over to that and actually stick it in, there is going to be a phonerosis event, right? Because what is theoretical now is going to become manifested. It's going to become real. There is going to be a phonerosis, a manifestation of what theoretically should happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to stick that in and I'm going to get electrocuted. Hopefully not bad, but I'm not going to find out. This is the way it is in with the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, there's going to be a phonerosis. There's going to be, in the areas of ministry that are needed, there is going to be a phonerosis, a manifestation of the Spirit. What the Spirit can do in theory and what a person controlled by the Spirit in theory can do now can become reality. The, per, the Spirit becomes, the Spirit comes upon a person so that a manifestation comes and everyone is able to play. These manifestations are given as needed and then they leave. These are works of the Spirit that happen through people as needed for the purpose that the Holy Spirit intends. And it is so that the body of Christ or the mission of Christ is either built or accomplished. And once the purpose has been accomplished, the manifestation is done. Any believer can experience any of these manifestations. Whereas gifts, there's one gift, I believe, that you're going to work out of, serve out of, play out of, any of these manifestations can take place for, for any person as it is needed. So let me just challenge you with this. If you aren't playing, if you aren't serving, will you ever experience any of these manifestations? I don't believe you will, and here's why. You don't need them. If you are never in the midst of praying for someone and they need direction, there will never be a need for a word of knowledge to be given to you for them. If you're never in a place where the word of God needs to be declared, then there will never be the need for a prophetic word to be given through you. If you're not praying for the healing of others, there will never be the need for the gift of healing to be manifested in you. Just, it's the reality. If it's not needed and a manifestation comes only for a need, then there's no reason that you'll experience it. But here's the flip side. If we're in places of ministry and we're in places where we feel like we're over our heads serving, that is where the Holy Spirit then begins to manifest these things in us. Why? 
because we need it. We need direction. We need power. We need these things to take place when we are in those places where God has to show up. So I think it's one of those places of extreme invitation that we are given the opportunity to step in and that's where the excitement happens. That's where the fun happens. That's when the game really gets going is when we step into a place and we say, I am in over my head. And if you feel like you're in over your head, you're probably exactly where you need to be. Because God will often put us in places that are bigger than us so that we have to depend on him to do this work. As I did with the list of gifts, let me go quickly through these lists of the manifestations. The word of wisdom, it's a message for a clarification or divine perspective. A word of knowledge is information given in a ministry setting to communicate a message. Faith is more than just our faith in Christ. This is supernatural faith that goes above and beyond and that trusts that God, that something, trust and expects that something is going to happen. Gifts of healing are the kind of healing that Jesus performed. He still does it today. Miracles are God breaking through the natural order to do the supernatural. It's not the person doing it. It's God through that person breaking into the natural order to do the supernatural. Prophecy, which is declaring the word of God, is both a spiritual gift and a manifestation of the spirit. Discernment of spirits is the ability to discern and distinguish between works of God and works of Satan. Speaking in tongues are messages for the church that are given in an unknown language that are followed by interpretation of tongues, which is an interpretation in a known language, say English, which is what we would predominantly speak of the message of that tongue. These are manifestations of the spirit. Some of these might feel weird, right? Some of these might seem uncomfortable, but they, and we believe they are legitimate ways that the spirit works through the parts of the body. We believe he still does these today. So be open to them and use when given because everyone gets to play. Two more points and then we'll come to a place of application conclusion. Embrace your part and play it. After you recognize the spirit as the one and receive what he has to give, receive and identify your gift, be open to the manifestations of the spirit, then embrace your part and play it. In verses 12 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the, the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. 
If they were all one part, where would the body be? If they, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. There is this amazing reality of unity. And it's something that we can appreciate. We see the unity of the body. It's called, the church is called the body of Christ. And it's compared to a human body, Paul says here. And though there are many parts in a human body, they all make up one body. And so it is in the church. Though there are many parts in the church, there are many individuals in the church, they all make up, we all make up together one body. With Jesus, Ephesians 1 tells us, as the head. The body becomes this united group of individuals. And we don't say, I wish I was that. Or we don't make me greater than others or anyone else. When we came to faith in Christ, we were all baptized into the same body by the Holy Spirit and we all share the Holy Spirit. This is where unity is based in. But there is also this diversity that there are many parts forming one body, but diverse. All the parts are not, not the same. If all were ears, we wouldn't see. If all were eyes, we wouldn't smell. And so it would be, and so it is in the body of Christ. Each person is unique. I love that, the real you. What is it? How has God created you to be who you are? Because everyone gets to play. The body is not those who sit in the bleachers, but the body is those who are actively engaging together. We embrace our part and we play it. But we also embrace this thing called interdependence. The passage ends in verses 21 to 31. Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, Paul concludes, and each one of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, prophets, or apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, all those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all of those is The answer to all those is no, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Since not one of us has all of it, it requires that we depend on one another. And it requires also that we work together. This interdependence idea that we are not 
islands, that we are not able to accomplish this on our own. The church functions best when we understand and we embrace our part, when we embrace interdependence, when we depend on each other and when we work together. I love how Paul says in verse 27, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You belong, you're part of it, and everyone gets to play. In families, sometimes, there's the need for family meetings, right? There's the need when there is a pressing issue or something that everyone needs to be aware of and talked about, a family meeting might be called. And so, for just these last few moments, all of that shot at you, all that information, to have just a brief family meeting. And so if you're today maybe, or you're watching and this isn't necessarily your, your church family, um, I appreciate that and so just bear with us for just a moment. But. Last week we had our annual meeting, which is our annual congregational meeting, and and we were able to share some of the good things that are happening in ministry. After school program, ministering to the students, youth group, the way the children's ministry, all these different areas of growth that are happening. And a good amount of them, though they're not here today, a good amount of this growth is because of the efforts of both Leah and Mara. In 2018, the congregation voted to utilize an an extremely generous gift that was given to the church from a man by the name of Vern Kendrick. When he passed away, he left a sizable amount of money to the church. And so in that, the congregation had the decision and we sought the Lord. It had been used over time to be able uh, to fund a lot of um, outreach opportunities, overseas mission. But we wanted to utilize that and we came to an understanding and prayed about it as a congregation and took a congregational vote in 2018 to be able to determine that we believe that the Lord is calling the Dorseyville Alliance Church to be a place where Christ's presence brings life, healing, and restoration. And that part of that ministry would be reaching out to the community, but also building up the body of Christ here. And that part of the vision would be to utilize a large sum of that money to invest in workers, next generation of workers who the Lord is calling and the Lord is raising up. And that we as a church would become kind of a a greenhouse, so to speak, where the next generation would be able to, to serve and the next generation would be able to be equipped and invested in and then sent out. And so in the last couple years, some of that vision has begun to be uh, seen in fruition as both Mara and Leah have come on staff. Now, there have been some really, really good things that have happened. I mentioned things like the after-school program There's fruit that is coming from it. I've mentioned things like the youth group and the children's ministry and our various outreach opportunities. There are things that they are intended, the worship ministry, the way it's growing and developing and leading us into places of worship. These are things, these are fruits of that vision of what we believe the Lord has called us to. 
One of the things, though, that we did not intend was not that we would invest in and give space for new workers to come and have place for ministry and say, go do it. Yay. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. And cheer on as fans do, right? Fans are the ones who say, woohoo, way to go. When there's wins and celebrations, there's the opportunity to be like, yeah, good job. And in some ways, I believe that we as a family have allowed this vision to be not just invest in and give space, but uh, we have hired them to do the work of the ministry. And so we cheer them on. We might pray for them, which is amazing and excellent. But the intention has always been that they would not be the ones to do the work of the ministry alone. That it would give space for them to do ministry while the congregation came alongside and took ownership of what God was doing as they were ministering. Because here's the reality. Mara has always intended that she is going overseas. She came knowing that this, she's here for three years-ish. And then she has a call in her life to go overseas. I believe Leah is much in the same way. I don't believe that she will be here forever and ever. I believe calls on her life and the way that God is working in her and Jake's life that there's a time that they're not going to be part of Dorseyville Alliance Church. And so the question becomes, if we are just investing and saying, yay, way to go, guys. And what was always intended was for them to be launched. What happens to ministries like the after-school program? What happens to ministries like Focus Youth Ministry and Children's Ministry and Fall Family Fun Day outreach to our community where we have the opportunity to minister to two or 300 people from our community or the Easter egg hunt when families come in and we have the opportunity to share the gospel as they have a fun event but we are able to proclaim that Jesus is the reason for Easter. What happens with the partnerships that have been developed with the school what happens to the refugees in Pittsburgh that have had some impact but could have so much more impact? What happens when the Lord says it's time for them to go? What happens even in our children's ministry that could use more teachers and more volunteers? What happens in our youth group that could always use more hands? What happens in the nursery that could always benefit for more? What happens, this isn't even around these areas but of, of them specifically, but the trustee group that is looking to get reestablished to care for the needs of our facilities? And Young at Heart talking about the, the restarting of the Young at Heart ministry. There's going to be a new group of leaders that are needed for that. Sound and audiovisual always need people to help. Panera needs people to help. The cafe coffee prep needs people to help on Sunday. There's a whole new generation of men that need to be raised up to serve as elders, not to mention just a whole new generation needing to be raised up. The reality is not all of these things will be able to continue if we are just saying, 
Yes, way to go. See, the reality is God has gifted just a few of us, right? You should yell at me and say no. God has not gifted just a few of us. God has gifted every person in the body of Christ. That means every person is both needed and every person gets to play. You know, one of the joys about a smaller church is in larger churches sometimes, there may not be easy ways to be a part of carrying on and having significant impact. But when you're part of a smaller body, it is great opportunity for us to be able to say, how has the Lord gifted me? How is the Lord manifesting his spirit through me? And what is it that he is calling me to do? How do I serve? Everyone, everyone gets to play. So in a family meeting, I hope I'm able to share that the reality is things cannot continue like this forever. But while that is reality, I think it's a great place of hope because God has brought every single person here and is orchestrating, the spirit is working and building because everyone gets to play and everyone is needed to play. So the question becomes, what will you do? In these next weeks and next couple months, we'll be able to help you find that place. But the, to be asking the Lord, what is it that you might be even be stirring? Some of those things that you've heard him talk about. What are some things that the Lord may be stirring in you to be a part of? If you're newer with the Christian Missionary Alliance, to close with this. Christian Missionary Alliance is just a movement of people who love Jesus and go deep with Jesus and who are about the mission of Jesus here on the earth. We believe the local church is a huge part of that, of how, the lo- of how God is building and God is moving. But our founder, Dr. A.B. Simpson, talked about this phrase of irregulars. You have in the army, you have the regulars, and the irregulars. The irregulars are not the oddballs. The irregulars are just the ones who come alongside, who are not regularly, that's not their space. And so he talked about this idea of the irregulars. He says that God has always done a great deal of his work out of season as well as in season, irregularly as well as regularly. And he says, we claim to be raising up a band of irregular soldiers for the vast unoccupied fields to supplement the armies of the Lord in regions they cannot reach and work they cannot overtake. Irregulars stand both in solidarity with in support of those who have been vocationally, it's their job, called to professional ministry. God, through Simpson, said this in 1901. He said, God loves to use men and women in unconventional ways. The need of the church today is not a larger number of clergymen, professional, called pastors, workers, missionaries, but a larger number of men and women in social, 
secular, and professional life whose entire influence and talents are at the service of the master. Not a salaried and dependent priesthood who preach the gospel because it's expected of them merely, but a great body of consecrated irregulars who use their earthly station in the providence of God as a standpoint from which to serve and witness for their heavenly master and bless their fellow men. We are part of a group that has always valued all people. Where Wimber said it 20 or 30 years ago that everybody gets to play, Simpson said it over 110, 20 years ago, that everyone really gets to play. Everyone not only gets to play, but everyone is needed. Everyone is needed to play. I know I've shared a ton, and you probably are like, I hope he's done talking soon. but I hope you're stirred at the same time. That you are not here, you are not part of the body of Christ by accident. God has called you and he has gifted you. He's put a spirit in you and he wants to pour out his spirit more upon you. And he has a place for you. A place for you to engage and to serve for the building up of his body, for the advancement of his kingdom and ultimately for the glory of his name. And the more that people hear, hear and to the ends of the earth of Jesus, the sooner King Jesus returns. So, what is it that God has put in you? And how is he calling you to be a part of the game, to play? So Father, I know I've shared a lot today but I pray that you would take all of these things and that your spirit would gently urge and whisper, maybe even shout of where you have for us to be. Father, I thank you for this amazing reality that everyone in your family, everyone in your church, everyone in your kingdom gets to play, that you have poured out your spirit on young and old alike, on men and women alike, and your gifting, empowered by your spirit, is intended to build your body and to engage your mission here on this earth. So Holy Spirit, you're the one that we really need to hear. Jesus, you're the one that we really need to hear from each of us individually. May we have ears to hear what you, Holy Spirit, are saying to us. Where there are questions or wrestling, Father, I pray that we would bring it out into the light so that we might discern fully what you are saying. We look forward to what you have in store for us still, for your kingdom's growth and for the renown of King Jesus, I pray in his name, amen.